is Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. If you have your Bibles, be finding that. It's about the middle of the Bible. If you just open it uh, right in the center, you may open right to it. But Isaiah chapter 40, and I want to read verses 29 to 31 as we begin. Isaiah 40, verse 29 from the English Standard Version reads, He gives power to the faint, to him who has no might. He increases their strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. Young men will fall exhausted. But those who wait... For the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles and run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. <clears throat> the background for Isaiah 40 is the exile of the Old Testament. The exile is a, like a shadow hangs over most of the Old Testament scripture. The Jews had fallen into idolatry and God had sent the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, to capture them. And they had uprooted them and deported them all the way to Babylon. And there they languished in slavery and bondage for 70 years, according to Jeremiah the prophet. And then in Isaiah 40, uh, and really going all the way through the, to chapter 66, the end of Isaiah, is the statement of God that their sins are forgiven, that their service in Babylon is over, and they may return home. Well... How do you make such a trip as that? And if they've been there 70 years, how do you just uproot family and possessions and leave the culture, basically the culture that they've always known all their life long? And where would they find resources or stamina for such an undertaking as this? Because once they get back to Jerusalem, what's in Jerusalem? The city has been destroyed. The temple is torn down. And you read about it in Ezra and Nehemiah, how that when they got back, they had to start rebuilding again. So how is this possible? So God comes to them and starts out by saying in chapter 40 uh, that they are to be comforted because He's going to be with them. He's going to be, as He puts it in verse Uh, 10 and 11, he's going to be like a shepherd who gathers his lambs in his arms and carries them. In other words, he's going to see to it that they get back. He will undergird their feeble efforts. He will summon resources that they had not considered and he, in order to encourage their faith, uh, 
Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 40 basically contrasts God with four or five things here. In verses 12 to 14, he contrasts the God of heaven with his creation. Look at verse 12. He has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. That's all the oceans. And he's marked off the heavens with a span. A span is considered from uh, your little finger uh, to the, over to your thumb. He has marked off the heavens. Somebody, you know, the song, he holds the whole world in his hand. He, he holds the, all the galaxies in his hand. Traveling in a jumbo jet, it would take you 19 years to just to reach the sun. And it would take you 750 million years in the space shuttle to get to the edge of our galaxy. And there are billions of galaxies. And he says, God holds all the heavens in the span of his hand. So this is a big and a great God. And in verses 15 to 17, he contrasts God with the nations. Verse 15, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Um, We used to carry water when I was a kid from the cisterns uh, into the kitchen. And sometimes, you know, you get a bucket of water and you, you lose a drop. Well, you don't even pay it any attention. He says the nations, verse 15, plural, nations are like a drop from a bucket. Uh, there's a, over 200 nations, identifiable nations, Seven to eight billion people. And they're all just like a draw. It's like it's insignificant to him. In terms of size. In terms of influence. And then he contrasts in verse 18 to 20. He contrasts God with idols. Verse 18. To whom will you liken God? With what likeness will you compare him? An idol. A craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold. But what if you're too poor to have gold? A gold idol. Then in verse 20 he says, He's too impoverished for an offering like that, so he chooses wood that won't rot and seeks out a craftsman and sets up the idol that will not move. A wooden idol... It can't move. It can't intervene. It can't talk. It can't help. In verse 21 to 24, he contrasts God with princes. Verse 21, do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? He sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Look at verse 23. 
He brings princes to nothing. And he makes rulers as emptiness. It means that God can reduce someone you have high expectations. We've got to get him into office. But God can bring him to emptiness. Disappointment. Maybe you have been disappointed in politicians over the years. God can do that. Don't put too much confidence in politicians. Amen? <laughs> and then he contrasts God with the stars. Verse 25 to 27. To whom will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. Who brings out their hosts by number? He knows the exact number of the stars. He calls them all by name. And because he's strong in power, not one is missing, verse 26 says. He's named and numbered and preserved the stars of heaven. He holds them in place. And I think that's important today because there's a lot of people into astrology and horoscopes and, and trying to determine their fate by the stars of heaven. How about looking a little higher at the one who named, numbered, created, and preserves the stars? There's the one whose fate you should look to as in his hands. And then... Uh, he sums it all up by saying then in verse 27, so why in the light of the fact that he's the God of creation, the entire creation's in his hands, the nations of the earth are but a drop in a bucket or a grain of sand. Idols can't move. Princes or politicians are here in the morning and gone in the evening. Stars are numbered and guided, so there's no point in looking to them because he's the one who made them. In light of all this, verse 27, then why are you saying, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my rights are disregarded by God? Why are you saying God's not involved in my life? Why are you saying that my way is hidden from the Lord, that He's not paying attention to my prayers or my life or looking upon me with favor. In other words, the God of the Bible is the God of creation and providence, history and destiny. He is almighty. He's all-powerful, all-wise, and He is more than able to guide Israel back from Babylon to its homeland and provide resources. He can summon the angels. He can subpoena the kings. He can part the waters. He can calm the waters. He can walk on the waters. <laughs> Whatever the waters need, he's, he has dominion over them. That's the God that Isaiah wanted them to look to, to focus on, not the difficulty of the challenges before them. And then in verses 28 through 31, Isaiah makes three incredible 
statements that I want to give to you here, and these are my points this morning. Point number one, this mighty, almighty, great, majestic God of heaven and earth will share or give His strength to you. Look at verse 29. He gives power to the faint. He will give this, all this power. Well, so what? I'm weak. He's powerful. Yes, I know God is great. I am not great. Yes, but God, the great God of the Bible, will give His strength to you. See, that's awesome. Because that is good news. That's the first point. Here's the second point, verse 30. The second point is, we need that strength. Verse 30, even youths shall faint and be weary. Even young people. And young men, which is, has a different Hebrew word, it means something like the chosen, the strongest of the youth. The youth will faint. And the strongest, the chosen youth, will grow weary and fall exhausted. Even those who seem energetic and seem full of strength, the athletes, they need God's strength. They need God in their life. We, all of us, desperately need it. And I say this in light of the coming, I think it's uh, two weeks away, November 4th, Student Sunday. And I want you to participate with us, get involved with us, help us to uh, name and identify some teenagers that we can invite here that Sunday morning to tell them about the love of God in Christ Jesus. Because a lot of people don't, don't feel like that young people need God. Even the youths shall faint without His strength. That's what Isaiah is saying. Isaiah is saying young people, strong young people need God. Uh, let me give you three quick reasons. One is cultural chaos. I mean, it is a tremendous amount of noise and gender confusion and bullying in schools and body shaming. And, and you, can, you can see it if you just... Look at the bus when the kids get on the bus early in the morning to drive to travel an hour or so or however long to school. I mean, you can hear the chaos. When I, I got picked up by a bus when I was going to high school. And when I got on the bus, it was totally quiet. Every teenager got in their seat sat down, and you barely even talked to anybody. 
But now they're screaming and fighting and yelling and pontificating and bullying. And, and I'm like, I don't want to put my kids into that. And it scares the kids. And they don't like it. And it's when, because there's cultural chaos today. You know, I'll tell you this. I remember those old black and white Superman movies. Does anybody ever remember that? Is anybody here old enough to remember that? Black and white Superman. Uh, boring. <laughs> and I remember when the first real Superman movie, I think it was Christopher Reeves, came out. And... And I thought, man, I'm going to go see that. And when I, this was the first modern Superman. And it was awesome. He could lift off and settle down. He'd look so real. And he went to bed with Lois Lane before marriage. I was shocked. What? Superman? Is nothing sacred? <laughs> But I remember being shocked at that. Not shockable anymore. Yeah. That's where we've come. There's cultural chaos. Moral relativism. And our children are growing up in this. Don't you think they don't need the stable foundation of God's holy word? They will have enough problems without being confused and uninformed. Let's give them the Word of God. They need it because of cultural chaos. They also need it because of hormonal changes. They're going through adolescence. They're, go, they're making this, this chemical transition and they're subject to depression and solitude and mood swings. Do, you, do y'all get what I'm saying? Can I get an amen from the front row here? <laughs> there has been a 30% increase in suicides among youth since the year 2000. This is an article in USA Today, and girls make up two-thirds of the suicide cases. I personally have done several suicides of young people over the years. They, 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 I've done, they graduate from college, have a job, happy with a girlfriend, and go and commit suicide. How, how do you explain that? I don't know. So cultural chaos chemical, hormonal changes, but third, Satan, spiritual warfare. Our young people need God's strength because Satan is not going to wait till you're 21 before he tries to destroy your life. A woman said to me one time, some years ago, when I invited her, her to bring her teenagers to the service, she said, well, I'm going to wait until they're 18 and let them decide. And I said, 
do you think Satan is going to wait till they're 18? He, he, Satan attacks the weak and the vulnerable and the impressionable and because that's just the way he is. He is a coward. He is a loser. And so he attacks the weak. Your children are the weak. I read it again. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men will fall exhausted. And so we are, people say the young people are our future. Let me say this. Young people are also our present stewardship. And we must pursue them on behalf and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 23, 37. Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood, but you would not. Oh, man. I would have gathered your children to me like a hen gathers, protective hen gathering her little chicks. They actually belong to him. I would have gathered them like that, but you wouldn't let me. You wouldn't permit it. Permit it. So parents, leaders, let's go full speed for November 4th and gather students into this place. Who can you bring? By the way, I want to add, youth shall faint, verse 30, and be weary, and young men. The, the word there, the Hebrew word, means that the chosen ones, the special uh, young, the strong man. Have you heard of Eddie Hall called the Beast? He holds the title of the strongest man in the world. But his story is how when as a 14-year-old to drown his depression, his continued battle with depression, he would... Bring, drink bottles of whiskey every day. 14 years old, battling depression. Unable, a dis, unable to enjoy a family meal or the everyday task of meeting pals. Mike Jenkins won the world's strongest man honors in 2012. He died in 2013. He was 31 years old. Even the young men, the strongest, the chosen ones, they will fall exhausted. Rick Grizzly Brown won a national wrestling title at age 15. He has the um, record in uh, Guinness World Records for the largest biceps, 25-inch biceps. Mine's only 24. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just gave up. But Rick Grizzly Brown felt empty and unfulfilled. He became a Muslim. 
He died in 2002 at 41 years of age. The strongest, the youth will faint, the young men will fall exhausted. So point number one was, God will share His strength. Point number two is, everyone needs His strength, even the young and the strong. Here's point number three. This is in verse 31. Those who wait for the Lord renew their strength. They get that strength. They mount up with wings like eagles. Eagles don't fly so much as they catch the current. The current lifts them up. They, they glide. They, they rise with the current undercurrents in the valleys. This is the way it is with those who wait for the Lord. They feel an undergirding. They are lifted up above the mountains and above the problems and above the issues and challenges that they face. He will share His strength like that. Those who wait upon the Lord. What does it mean to wait? Well, the word itself means to be to wrap around something, like a rope you wrap around a tree. And if a car hits the rope that's wrapped around a tree the car will be destroyed because of the tree that the rope is wrapped around. And the idea is that you are entwining yourself around God and His Word and His people and His kingdom, that you, you, your life and God's life are intertwined to wait upon Him means to wrap yourself in Him. Psalm 25, 5, David said, Lead me in your truth. Teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. And I wait for you or upon you all day long. I look to you all day long. It means you look to His guidance, His wisdom, His blessing. Even when circumstances are against you, See, remember, this is to the exiles. Look to God for everything, he's telling them. It means that you do it patiently. When you pray and there's no answer, or you tithe and there's no prosperity, or you read the Bible and there's no understanding of it, you, you go to church and nothing changes. It means you're still wrapped around Him, trusting in Him, looking to Him, waiting upon Him. You're patient with Him because He knows the timing and the path that you should take. Friday night we attended a small group from our church and Andy, most of y'all know Andy, uh, he shared just a little bit about what God's been doing in his life. And I thought, that's a perfect example, illustration of waiting on the Lord. So I said to Andy yesterday, I said, Andy, would you just come and share that, what you shared with us Friday night? Because it's, it's, this is what it means to wait on the Lord. So Andy, would you just come and say a word to us? 
always uh, enjoy getting the chance to talk about what the Lord's done for me. But I can't ever say, I can't promise you I'm going to do it unemotionally. So um, uh, one of the things that Pastor was talking about is on Friday night I shared with him that, uh, that um, the, uh, I, I do a lot of government work now, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But uh, <clears throat> they had had a problem that they couldn't fix for over 20 years. And, uh, and I had come in in, uh, in the situation, and they said, hey, do you feel comfortable looking into this and seeing if you can figure out? Uh, we, we've had a, a leak in the building for over, over 20 years. And, uh, and, and I said, well, you know, I don't really know much about that, but I'll, I'll try to do that for you. So I actually prayed to the Lord, and I said, oh, sorry about getting emotional about this, but I said, Lord, would you please help me to solve this problem uh, so that I can make myself, number one, indispensable to them, and also that... You'll just show that you were the one that, that did this because everybody in the building said this can't be this can't be fixed or they they couldn't find where it was, and uh, so I spent about three days digging up the side of the building, and uh, you know I had engineer after engineer come out and say you know you're never going to be able you're, you're wasting your time doing this uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna find where this is at, and I said well that, that might be but we're gonna we're gonna give it a shot anyway and. And I, on Friday night, what he was talking about is I, I was pretty excited when I came to the discipleship group because God had showed me like right where that where that leak was. I put some, I put water in the whole trench and couldn't get it to leak. And then I went up to this certain spot in the building where I could see it was behind everything where you couldn't see, and in the in the water just started pouring in the building. And so we we had found out where that was at. But I, I kind of want to back up to that for a second because. The fact that God was able to put me in that situation to start with, as many of you guys know me, over the last probably two years now, uh, our family has gone through some terrible things. I mean, we, we, we went through some awful things where God actually took everything away from us. He took our house away from us. He took pretty much everything but my tools. I mean, we still currently live in my uncle's basement. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but God... As that all finalized, we went through a, a battle with the court system um, and unjustly had a lot of our things taken from us. And, and through that process, I, I, I never felt closer to God than when we were going through those, those times. But I just trusted that I knew that if he was going to take all of this away, that he would pour it all back out on me. And, um, and I just, I mean, some of you guys probably heard my terrible singing here as I was like crying out to the Lord some Sundays just... So thankful to be in his house with his people, um, even regardless of everything being stripped from us. And, um, and, and as soon as all of that was taken away, almost to the day, God just started pouring into my business, just favor after favor. And um, I was able to get into doing this government work, which put me in a building where I'm able to solve problems for people and stuff like that. And it was just, I, I mean, I don't know how much more of that you want me to get into other than... Like it's Sounds just, uh, good to me. It's, it, 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 one, one of my life verses is, trust in the Lord, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your paths. Amen. And I've just seen him as a young man making that my life verse. I've just seen that in everything he's done as far as, like, he's taken so much away from me. And then in turn, just continued to pour it out on me. And, and, but I've always found him to be faithful. No matter how difficult the situation was, I've always found him faithful to come back in and, and make up far more than what he ever took away. Even though I didn't understand at the time why these things were going the way they were. We were in court situations where all of the lawyers would say, 
listen, there, there's no way that they can do this. And they did it anyway. And I, I just knew, I, I thought, well, God can come in the end. He can come in at that very last trial and just say, nope, we're going we're gonna to straighten that all back out. And he didn't. And I didn't understand why at the time because I was trusting him to do that. But his plan was bigger than my plan. And had, had, we, had we got all that stuff back, we wouldn't be able to be in the situation that we're in now, moving forward with our business and, and being in better, being in a better situation. So, I mean, I guess just waiting on the Lord, just, you, you just have to trust that he's got a better plan. Even, than when, even when you think he might come in and save you at the end of the day and it doesn't look like that, he's still, got, he's still working something out um, for you. You know what I mean? And I guess Amen. that's, I mean, that, I don't know if I shared what you wanted me to share there. That's, that's, that works. Okay. Those who wait for the Lord renew their strength. They mount up with wings like eagles. They run and not get weary. They walk and do not faint. Let us wait upon the Lord. All right, ushers, if you'll prepare to receive our regular Sunday morning offering, let's worship today with our offering to the God who is worthy of our praise, worthy of our giving. Bow with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much today that you have given us your promises and you said you'd share your strength, which is infinite and beyond comprehension, but you, you said you'd give that strength to us if we would look to you and wait upon you and wrap our lives around you and your word. And so we come to you this morning. I just pray for encouragement to each person here today. I pray for forgiveness and of sin and mercy to be poured out on their life. I pray for favor. Thank you for Andy and Julie and their illustration and their faithfulness to you. And thank you that you are faithful to them. Bless this time of giving and just give us your divine benediction with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's sing this chorus and bridge together. Beside you, 
Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. I will build my life upon your love. to build our life on you and only you in the name of Jesus amen hope y'all have an awesome afternoon enjoy it y'all be blessed